for sharing that with us. We're going to get a glimpse of the power and glory of God as we look at the creation account. But we're going to let the little ones go to junior church first. And while they're going, let's turn to Genesis chapter 1, beginning with verse 20. Genesis chapter 1, beginning with verse 20 this morning. Then God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the water swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters in the sea, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, a fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, And everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it, and roll over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. To every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky, to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Those of you that are used to a catechism approach to worship probably have come in contact with the Westminster Catechism. In it, the question is raised, what is the chief end of man? And the answer to that question in the catechism is twofold. First, it was... The chief end of man is to do what? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Sometimes we forget that last part, to to enjoy him there, but our chief aim is to glorify God. Do you ever stop and ponder, why are you here? I don't mean here in church this morning, but why has God, why did he have you born in America? Why not Asia or Africa or somewhere else? What difference does it make where we were born? And how, how have we been blessed because of that? What is our purpose? Why, why has God not only placed us on earth, but why has he placed us in Chihuahua? What, what, what is our reason for, for being here? Uh, the problem with uh, those who downplay creation is we might as well If there's no creator, we might as well eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die, and that's the end of it. But if there's a God, then we have a meaningful purpose. 
we're not just a product of chance. We are here because God has placed us here today. And so we want to continue looking at the creation account. We looked at the first four days last week. We come to day five today. I'm just going to quickly skim day five, and and I want to spend most of our time on day six here. But on day five, in verses 20 through 23, he created the living creatures in the sea and in the skies and uh, commanded them to be fruitful, to multiply after their kind there. Not only the fish and the birds, but the sea monsters as well. Leviathan, uh, I believe he created the dinosaurs and so forth the next day there. But uh, notice he says, after its kind. I think that's an important uh, phrase for us to look at there. Uh, You ever marvel at the amazing diversity there is in nature? Uh, and have you seen the robins yet? They're back. Yeah. Uh, uh, you, you look just at the bird world that we get to enjoy at our bird feeders. All different kinds come around. Uh, uh, it, uh, you, you just get a, a brief glimpse in that, I think, of the, the creativity and the wisdom of God. And, and as you look at the fish of the sea and all the life that is in the sea, it, it, it should trigger within us the thinking, we have one awesome God. What an amazing God to create all of this for mankind's use and enjoyment there. Uh, Along with that was the sea monsters. I I was thinking of that this week. Uh, uh, I've never run into a sea monster. (laughs) I think they're still out there. (laughs) But uh, I, I, I remember years ago when we were living in Lillooet, British Columbia, outside of Lillooet, there's a a lake, it's Seton Lake. It stretches about 20 miles back into the mountains. A beautiful lake uh, fed from glaciers and so forth. A very, very deep lake. And uh, right along the edge of the lake as it approaches town, the, the, it gets very narrow through there. And, and there's a railroad track that comes right along the edge of the lake. And because of the the cliffs and so forth above it, every time a freight train comes through there, they always send a little speeder car in front of the train, just in case there's a rock slide. And, and they can radio to the engineer, you better slow down or stop there. Well, one day, the speeder car got a little bit ahead of his freight train that he was guiding through that passage, went around a corner and everything was fine, and he continued on into town. But in, in that little interval of time, a rock slide came. And the Freight train hit it full blast. Three of the engines and three or four of the cars went off into the lake. Uh, Fortunately, there was a a ledge about 30 feet down that they rested on. The engineers were all killed. But the company wanted to salvage the engines if they could. I mean, that's a lot of money sitting down there in the the water. And so they sent divers down to, to assess the situation. And I still remember the divers coming up and they, were, they said, you know, when we got down there, we felt as if something was watching us. And uh, they turned around, and there were some huge sea monsters, is what, how they described them, looking at them. Uh, huge, huge fish. Now, they believe they were landlocked sturgeon. Uh, they had observed them on the far end of the lake uh, from the sky. Uh, nobody caught one in there that I know of, but... Uh, they estimate that they are up to 1,500 pounds, 
living in that lake, and, and people go in there swimming all the time. Not not me. Uh, that that's that's cold water. I, I don't like cold water, but a lot of people did that. But uh, those creatures are out there, and we we need to recognize that this a diversity in nature there that that God has created for us to enjoy. That that was day five. Then day six, verse 24, there's two major areas of creation on day six. There's the animal world as we know it. There's also the creation of man there. Again, as you look at the animal world, I trust you're amazed at the diversity, the the creativity, the the imagination of God. Can you imagine some of the creatures that he made? Uh, When when you look at them, you wonder, what in the world? why, Why in the world did he make them like they did? You know, that giraffe with that great big long neck? Well... He had a purpose. Uh, he created them for, for a reason. And each one of them has a, a unique role to play in the world. Uh, and long before man knew anything about genetics and DNA and so forth, God designed the whole process. He put it all in place. I, I was reading this week a book, uh, Inspiration from Creation, uh, written by two bioengineers, uh, one is Stuart Bergers. He's professor of engineering design at the University of Bristol. He's the one that created that, that four-bar mechanism that they use to make those little, not helicopters, but they're, they're similar to helicopters. They can send them into buildings that are on fire or where there's a hostage situation. You don't risk a man. You, you, you send that, that in and, and uh, copied it from the dragonfly, actually. The, the, the movement of the dragonfly, and he said he only only was able to reproduce half of it because they have two sets of wings. He said, that was way too complicated for for man. But uh, and then they took that same concept and and they used it in the uh, space program, one of the the space shuttle. And uh, he said, you talk about pressure. He said three weeks before the the launch of the space shuttle the head of the project came to him and he said, do you real, are you sure your calculations are correct? He said, do you realize that if, if you're wrong, there's several million dollars that are going to blow up in space? <laughs> and uh, he said, I had a few sleepless nights for the next three weeks there, <laughs> wondering is it going to work or not? They also are beginning to use them in, in, in new knees. They've come up with a use for them in redesigning artificial needs there. The other author, Dominica Stratham, was also uh, uh, involved in that same type of work, uh, making designs, mechanical de- designs taken from nature itself. But in the book, they, they make this statement. He said, one of the clearest examples of design is seen in the origin of life itself. How could ordinary chemicals spontaneously form biological cells? And then he quotes uh, an atheistic scientist, Professor Stuart Kaufman, admitted, anyone who tells you that he or she knows how life started on Earth is a fool or a knave. Now, he downplays, of course, the scripture there. It has nothing to do with that. Uh, Similarly, when asked whether he had any idea how life started, Professor Richard Dawkins confessed, no, nor has anybody. They go on to say there's no such thing as a simple first cell. Uh, We have a a new group of evolutionists today. They've rejected the concept of evolution as as we were taught it in school. Uh, They're they're revising it. They're not coming to to a knowledge of creation. They're they're revising it because they themselves estimate 
that the simplest organism capable of reproduction would require over 350 genes. And they, they go on to admit that this cell, this cell is irreducibly complex. There are a minimum number of components that have to exist or the cell would not exist. So there's no way that could have evolved by small steps. It had to be all in place at once or it wouldn't be here. And, and so they're coming to the conclusion that there has to be at least an intelligent design behind life as we know it today. Uh, even those involved in the atheistic world are, are, are doing that today, looking at life by design. That leads to the, the creation of man in verses 26 through, through 31. Now, when I say man, I want you to know that I am using that in the generic sense, mankind. That uh, includes male and female, as, as we'll see as we get along here. I, I, I realize that's not politically correct, but I've never worried about being politically correct. <laughs> I, I, it says it in Scripture, so I'm going to use that particular term there. Three things that we notice about man. First of all, man was created in the image of God. God said, let us make man in our image. Notice the, uh, the, the phrase there, God said, in our image. He's not talking about several gods here. It's one God manifested in three forms. One, uh, we're getting a glimpse of the, the, the trinity in, in this. Um, the, the, it's expressing the fact that there's one God, but there's a plurality within that, that Godhead. There's the Father, the Son, and the, the Holy Spirit. Now, as we said as we started this series, when we look at creation, there is a glimpse of the majesty of God and at the same time, the mystery of God. And, and I, I think we see that here. We, we get a glimpse in verse 1 of this chapter of God the Father, Elohim there. Verse 2, you get a glimpse of the Spirit as a part of the Godhead. The Spirit moved over the, the waters there. And then in the next verse, you get a glimpse of the, of the Son, the Word. In the beginning was the Word. We looked at that a few weeks ago. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then you come down to chapter, John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word, what? Became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So you got all three of them active in creation. And all three of them together here said, let us make man in our image there. We'll see more of this as we move into uh, chapter 2. He just gives us a, a nutshell here in 26 and, and 27. But uh, an important question is, was there a difference between Adam and Eve and the animals? What, was there something different about the creation here? Uh, I, I think we get a key to that, and we'll look at it in a couple weeks from now in chapter 2, verse 8. Uh, verse you didn't give it to me on the screen. What, what, what's my verse that I'm looking for here? Oh, 2 verse 7. Okay. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being, a living soul there. So he created the animals on that day. No indication that he breathed into them the breath of life. Oh, he gave them physical life, yes, but he, he did something different for Adam and Eve. He, he breathed into them the... Uh, the, the breath of, of life there. And in it, I think, comes, uh, in that act comes 
our purpose. Why are we here? What, why has God created us? What, what, what is our purpose in life? And one of those purposes, I think, is given in the very creation of man. We are here to be image bearers, to, to reveal God to the world in which we live today. What do we reveal about God? I think several things come to mind here, but just a couple that I want to notice. One is we reveal today the fact that God is a triune being. It, it uh, takes us back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 in verse 23. Paul is praying for the Thessalonians. He says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly or entirely there. May your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your spirit, your soul, your body. That contradicted the thought, the scientific thought of the day and the philosophical thought of the day. They thought man was comprised of uh, either a spirit or soul and and a body. And and they often separated the two and said what you did in the body didn't matter to what went on in the the spirit and so forth and vice versa there. But Paul says, no, we're a three-part being. We are a, in a very real sense, a trinity. Now, that's hard for us to get a handle on, isn't it? Uh, how do we differentiate between the, the, the three parts? Uh, the spirit makes us conscious toward God. Uh, John chapter 4 says the day is coming when we're going to worship him in what? In spirit and in truth. It's our spirit that is united with God. And I think that's the first thing that died there as we get into chapter 3 when they re- sinned against God. They, they died and they needed to be reborn in their spirit. The soul makes us aware of other people. The social aspect of man uh, uh, involves our mind, our will, our emotions, and so forth there. Uh, We'll see one of the reasons for that in chapter 2, verse 18, when we again look at the creation of man. You remember when, when he created Adam, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to create a helper for him. Uh, We were created to be social beings. I I know some people like to be hermits and go off and live by themselves, but uh, very few people have that ability to do that. We we were created to interact with other people and and family units and and so forth there. And then the body makes us aware of the physical things around us. It involves the five senses and so forth. And yet, do you ever notice how interconnected they are? You ever notice when you're not feeling good in your body, it affects your soul? You ever notice how when you're depressed, it affects how you feel physically? They're all interconnected. We can't really separate them, even as we can't fully separate the Trinity as well. But we can reflect the fact that we are a triune being made in the image of God. And then... The second thought on that is we reflect the fact that God is a moral being as well. One of the problems that atheists have struggled with over the years is the fact that every society, no matter how primitive it may be, every society has a moral code. Where did that come from? It came from the fact that we were made in the image of God. In the very beginning of time, he created us and he gave us that that moral code, that system of right and wrong. And every culture has a system of right and wrong. They're not always the same, but they do have that that system. Animals don't worry about 
morals. You ever notice uh, uh, we have a, a cat? Uh, that cat doesn't ask if something is hers or not. If we make the mistake of leaving some tuna fish on the counter and we go away and leave it there, that cat is not going to sit there and wrestle with, is that right for me to eat that or not? That cat's going to be on that table and eat it. Uh, dogs the same way. They, they, they don't care about the moral issues. They don't have to wrestle with it. They don't ask, is it mine or is it right for me? But you ever notice that you have to wrestle with moral choices? I, I still remember in grade one, I, I had no church background. I didn't know who Jesus Christ was, didn't know anything. Nobody had taught me anything about God except for the fact that we we started every school day with a, the, the Lord's Prayer and a script, portion of Scripture. But uh, for, to a first grader, that was meaningless. I didn't know what they were talking about. Uh, I, I did it because you didn't want to get in trouble with the teacher, but... Uh, uh, you, you did a lot of things because you didn't want to get in trouble with the teacher. Uh, but uh, I, I, with my last name starting with a W, I had the privilege of sitting in the back of the room, most classes. Uh, they, they went alphabetical order for the sake of the teacher, and that was fine for my sake as well. I could sit back there, and if I didn't want to be noticed, I could slouch down in the chair and, and uh, just not get involved in what what was going on in discussion or anything there, but um, the the fellow sitting next to me had some toys that he would bring. And you couldn't do that on the front row, but you could do it on the last row. He had some of these little puzzles that you had a key, you take them apart, and then, then you have to put the pieces back together and get the key in just right. And he would play with them by the hour there, and I didn't have any of those. So one day I came up with a bright idea that I was going to appropriate one of those. And uh, when, when he wasn't around, I took one of them home. I, you know, I never enjoyed that toy. I was always afraid that I was going to get caught with it, uh, that mom or dad or somebody would find out that I had it. So I stuck it way back in a drawer somewhere, and I never enjoyed it because somehow God had programmed into my mind that this was wrong. This was stealing. This, you shouldn't do this. And uh, we're living in a day when man says there are no absolutes, but we can't get away from the fact that there are. They, they are real, and they are out there, and, and we were created to reflect that fact today. And then the second thing we see about the creation of man here is man was created male and female. We'll see more of this in chapter 2 as he goes into the, the process of how he created the two but it's essential, I think, for us to realize at this point that both man and woman, male and female, were created in the image of God. Both of them reflect the image of God to the world in which we live. One is not more important than the other. They have different roles, as we'll see in chapter 3, but uh, they were both created to glorify God. And one without the other was incomplete. God said, I need the two of them to, to complete the picture here. I, I can't help but think that this is where uh, the feminist movement and, and those that in, endorse women's lib and so forth miss it. If their goal as women is to be equal with men, they are missing it entirely. They were created for so much more than that. They're setting their sights too low. Rather than being like men, they should strive to be all that God created them to be. 
He didn't create them to be the same. He created them to be different and to have a different purpose to fulfill in life. God didn't need another man after he created Adam. He needed a woman. And so he, he created him. Someone has said when God created Adam, he looked at Adam and he said, I can do better than that. And so he created Eve and brought the two of them together. But I think we need to realize that in Christianity, we need to place a high degree upon both men and women. They are equally important to God. As a matter of fact, in, in Peter, First P- Peter chapter 3, men, it would be good to take this one to heart here. It, it says, you husbands likewise, First Peter 3, 7, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, that's asking a lot sometimes, isn't it? Live with your wives in an understanding way. Seek to understand them as a weaker vessel. And I'm not even going there today. It says, she is a woman. Grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, the way you treat your wife and how you view your wife has a direct effect upon your prayer life. If you come with the viewpoint, I'm number one, I'm in charge here, You've got to do what I say and so forth. God says, I'm not listening to your prayers. It's going to affect your, your prayer life and your, your prayer ministry there. Why? Because both were created in the image of God. Both were created to reflect the, the glory of God to the world in which we live. And we need to recognize that and we, we need to live with that today. And then the third thing here is God Man was created for a purpose in verse 28. He gives two reasons here. Man was created, first of all, to be fruitful and multiply. And in a sense, to fill the earth. I always marvel how we like to fill a city. Yeah, You ever get in the middle of a city and think, why in the world would everybody want to live in a city? One of the, I think, best kept secrets is the greatest place to live is Chihuahua. Uh, let, let them live in the city. I don't care. <laughs> if they want to crowd into Spokane or Seattle, that, that's okay with me. We have so much more out here to enjoy than what they have in, in the middle of the city. Uh, God created us to be fruitful, to multiply, to, to fill the earth there. And I realize today we rebel against that idea in many of our societies and so forth, and, and they're paying a tremendous price for that. China, for instance, for many years has had a one-child policy. I want to get too many people, it's going to fill the land. God says fill the land. Can we outuse the resources that are there? I don't think we've even begun to tap the resources that, that God has created for us. But they came up with a brilliant idea, one child per family, and now they're suffering the consequences of that. For many years, they everybody wanted a son. And so if it was a girl, they'd have it aborted. And now they have all kinds of sons, but nobody for them to marry. And uh, there's all kinds of problems that they are struggling with. Uh, Today, someone said, even in America, if all of the babies that had been aborted since Roe versus Wade were alive today, we would not have any problem with Social Security funds running out because there would be all of those individuals contributing to the workforce and, and, and so forth there. But rather than be fruitful, what have we done We've allowed abortion. We've redefined marriage. 
we've, we've turned away from the principles of the word of God. We were here to be fruitful and to multiply. Also, he said, the second reason for mankind is to subdue and rule. Over what? Over creation. Over the world and the environment as we know. We're not here to worship creation. We are here to manage it for the glory of God. God created it, and then he expects us, who those who are made in his image, to manage it, to use it for his glory. Sadly, today, there are many that worship creation. Many who have made a God of it. There are those who, uh, on the other extreme, misuse it. Instead of managing it for the benefit of, of the world, they manage it for the benefit of their bank account and so forth. We, we, we can go to both extremes today. But notice as he gives these two commands to man, you come down to verse 31 and he says, and it was what? It was not just good now, but very good. He created it all for man's enjoyment and blessing and benefit. And as he put mankind in it, he said, it is very good. Why does he say that? I think we get a glimpse of the reason why when we come down to the book of Revelation. Because obviously we look around us and it's not all good anymore. Uh, we'll, we'll see why when we get to chapter 3 with the fall of man. But uh, the day is coming when reality is going to be Revelation 21. And we start in verse 3 there. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. Now, that was true in the Garden of Eden. The Lord came in the cool of the evening, and he would walk in fellowship with Adam and Eve and so forth. They enjoyed the presence of God there. And he goes on to say, In that day he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he said, he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. He said, right for these words are faithful and true. That's what we have to look forward to. A recreated world in which we find no tears, no pain, no heartache, no suffering that's what he, he created it for in, in the beginning there. There was no pain. There was no death before the fall. One of the problems with theistic evolution is where did death originate? If it didn't originate because of the fall in Adam and Eve, then God created it. And if God created it, then it wasn't very good. If death was in the world before then, how could he say it was very good? So that that's a something you you have to struggle with if you want to go that direction. We'll see more of that when we get to chapter 3. Uh, the image of God, I think, in that moment was marred by sin. No longer do we fully reflect the, the image of God as Adam and Eve was able to do when they were, were first created. And yet, that image is still there. In Genesis chapter 9, after the, the account of the flood... As Noah and his family come out of the ark, they have a tremendous time of worship there at the end of chapter 8 as they offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And then the Lord blesses them. And you come down to verse 6 there of chapter 9. He says, whoever sheds man blood, man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. And it goes on then to repeat the command that, that God had given to Adam and Eve there. But he was still reflecting the image of man. Marred, yes, flawed, but the image of God is still within each one of us. 
And as I think about that, it's encouraging, I think, for us to realize that God did not give up on his creation. Just because Adam and Eve sinned, just because the the flood in Noah's day, God was not giving up on mankind. They were created in the image of God. And I think a a very encouraging verse, we're going to come back to this over and over again as as we make our way through uh, these opening chapters of Genesis, comes out of Colossians chapter 3. In verse 10, he says, uh, speaking of the new man being put on and so forth there, he comes down to, to verse 10. He says, and put on a new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew and so forth there. But Christ is all and in all. He speaks it there in verse 10 that you and I are being recreated into the image of Jesus Christ. He is doing a work of recreation in us. Uh, it began when we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. He said, if any man it be in Christ, he is what? A new creation. He is doing something new, something different in our hearts and, and lives. And as he works that new creation into our hearts and lives, he goes on to, in the very next verse there, after he reveals that we're a new cre- creature, a new creation there, the old has passed away, new things have come. He says, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and did what? Gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. What is he saying? He is saying, I am recreating you into the image of Jesus Christ for a purpose. Your purpose is the ministry of reconciliation. He goes on to say, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. What is he saying in that? We are the ones that he has chosen today to communicate the message of reconciliation, the hope of the gospel to Chihuahua, to our family, to our friends, to, to, to our loved ones. He has created us for that purpose. And don't go home and look in the mirror and say, God can't use me. He made a tremendous creation back in Genesis 1 and 2. And he's doing that tremendous job of recreating you. Can he use you today? Yes, he can. You, you can be used of God in the areas in which he has chosen you today. And so as you think about that, uh, as you look at your past, do you ever get discouraged? Do you ever play that if-only game? If only I hadn't said this, or if only I hadn't done that, how how different things would be, forget it. You can't go back and change the past. You don't have to play that game. Why? Because if you've come to Jesus Christ, the old has passed away. You are a new creation. He is doing something new in you and through you. And you can rejoice in the fact that the old has passed away, the new has come, and God is going to be glorified somehow through you. He's going to use you to touch somebody else as the image of God, touch somebody else so that they can become a new creation as well. So I go back to that original question, what is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God. Do you ever stop to realize that you are here in Chihuahua to glorify God, to, to bring glory to his name? And, you know, when you wrestle with that, then do you ever ask the question, are you doing it? 
Is it being glorified through your life, through the quality of your life? Are, are others seeing Jesus Christ through you? Or are you letting the past rule you, forgetting that you're a new creation? I like the testimony of the Apostle Paul in First Timothy. In, in First Timothy 1.12, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into the service. Now, we like to stop and think, that's great for the Apostle Paul. Now, God put him into ministry. He, he had a tremendous ministry, but that, that's not me. But notice what he says in the next verse. He said, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor, and yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It's a trustworthy statement full of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, amongst whom he said, I was chief, or I am chief. He came to save sinners, came to recreate sinners so that they can reflect, as he expected Adam and Eve to do, they can reflect the image, the character, the glory of God to the generation in which he has placed them. And I would like to suggest today that you and I are here today because somehow God wants to reveal himself to our community, to our generation. And so we have that tremendous responsibility, but at the same time, it's a tremendous privilege to say, Lord, here am I, use me. Here am I. Reveal your glory through me this week. Are we willing to set aside the past, knowing that we've made some mistakes, knowing that, like Paul, maybe we were an aggressor and so forth? Are we willing to set that all aside and say, Lord, you've changed me. You're recreating me. You're doing something beautiful in my life. Now I want you to be glorified through me. And are we willing to say, Lord, here am I. Use me today. Let's pray. Father, we look around us today and we marvel at your creation, the beauty, the glories that we see, the diversity, the creativity that is out there around us. We marvel at what an awesome God you are, what a creative God you are. And then we look at ourselves and we see sometimes the failures of the past and we forget we're not careful that you have made us new creatures, that you're recre- recreating us into the image of Jesus Christ. If we're not careful, we forget that we're here to reveal the image of God to a world that desperately needs to see the image of God today. Give us the faith to believe that you have a purpose for us here. Give us the courage to stand for that purpose and to allow you to be glorified however you choose. As Paul said, whether it's by life or death, it doesn't make any difference as long as you're glorified. And may that be true of each one of us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we continue the theme of of thinking of creation, we're going to sing from the beauty of the earth. And I trust that your eyes are open to that beauty. It's out there, even in the snow.